It's ten times the terror. Hello there. Okay, and welcome again to Ten Times the Terror. My name is Ralph. I'm Paul. And today we're delighted to have astrophysicist Dr. Hugh Ross come on our show. Dr. Ross is a popular lecturer. He has a website called Reasons to Believe. He's a conference speaker and an author of a number of, of great books on the subject relating to his field, which is astronomy. And today uh, we're going to focus on a subject that's been so much uh, in the media lately. Um, and there's a government report coming out in June, supposedly, on, on the subject. We want to discuss Dr. Uh, Yu's book uh, that has dealt with the subject uh, extensively, dealing with the reality of UFOs. Uh, but uh, we, we, we're not going to really talk today about whether UFOs exist. I think that's been established uh, very much. But we want to talk with Dr. Yu today about who or what is behind this phenomena and, and why these things are showing up so much more today. And so, first of all, let me welcome you. Dr. Ross, thank you for coming on our show and joining us. Sure, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir, and God bless you. We, we'd like to begin uh, by saying that, you know, a lot of these UFOs that have been reported since, especially in the 1940s, have been somewhat explained by natural phenomena, you know, stars, balloons, plants. But as you say, it's that small residual percentage that we might call incredible things observed by credible people. So would you kind of start off by commenting on that idea of that there are real UFOs or what they call today uh, unidentified, you know, phenomena. What, you know, what would you comment on that? And as we begin, well, I'm an astronomer. I had no intention of ever becoming an expert on UFOs, but I was an amateur astronomer before I became a professional astronomer. And in my role as a director of observations for the Vancouver chapter of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. I organized our club to have a booth at the Pacific National Exhibition, and it put us right next to the Flying Saucer Club. And because I knew the night sky so well, people would go to their booth and go to my booth and say, hey, can you tell me what I saw? And hence, every university that I was participating in, they'd need me the one that had to process the UFO report. And I can tell you that 99% of what people reported to me, I could explain as either a natural phenomenon uh, military activity, or a hoax. But there is that 1% residual, and it's not a tiny database. If you look at the worldwide data on UFOs, there are over 10 million cases where they can't be explained by natural phenomena or human activity. And I think what's most interesting is that there are cases where they have multiple observers in different sites, which means you can actually triangulate the trajectory of a UFO and calculate its velocity. And the velocities have been up to 18,000 miles per hour through Earth's atmosphere. But the observers never report a sonic boom. They never report the observation of heat friction as the craft goes through the atmosphere. And we all know when the space shuttle, for example, goes through the atmosphere, you can see this bright glow of heat friction. And you don't see that with these UFOs. And there's 2,000 documented cases 
where the UFO is observed going through the atmosphere at a very high velocity and crashing into the Earth. And you go to the crash site, you can actually see that the ground has been depressed. There's a small crater. If there's snow, the snow is melted, and the vegetation is consistently damaged. But when you go to that crash site, there's no artifacts, there's no debris. Now, if an aircraft crashes into the Earth, there's always you know, material, debris, artifacts that you can recover. In the case of these UFOs, there's nothing. On the other hand, the fact that the ground is depressed, the snow is melted, and the vegetation is damaged tells us something real happened. Uh, and this is why I conclude we're dealing with a phenomena that's real but not physical. I know that many ufologists, uh, including Mupin, who that is, is that, am I pronouncing that right, Mupin, or is it Muffin? Muffin. Muffin, okay. I, I or know Mufin. that Mufon, Muffin. Mufon's fine too. Okay. <laughs> uh, there, most uh, people that are, are scholars in this field uh, believe at this point in time, after all of what you've, what you've concluded, that these are vehicles or they are uh, phenomena that are able to uh, travel um, transdimensionally. I mean, I think that's a word that's starting to come up more and more because pilots have shot on, uh, have shot these things and said their uh, weapon systems uh, showed that they had a, a real shot and it went right through them. Um, right, right. And so it seems that conventional science, the empirics that we have at our disposal to observe phenomena, can't really handle this issue of uh, the UFOs in the traditional way, because there was an article in the Washington Post this, this very week that said, if we're going to solve the problem, it's going to take science. Now, I would say, maybe you would say it too, that science in, in its theoretical way, by looking at that which is provable and observable, can, can resolve this. But these things defy science. Well, they do, and I'm not the only astrophysicist that's devoted years to studying UFOs. I can name you six that have spent at least a decade investigating UFOs. Probably the one that's done the most serious study is the French astrophysicist Jacques Vallée, and he coined the term interdimensional, because we're dealing with an interdimensional phenomena. In other words, beings or craft that are operating in dimensions independent of length, width, height, and time. He says they're from beyond the cosmos. They're coming into our realm. That's what I find interesting is that these six astrophysicists, along with myself, all draw the same conclusion. We're dealing with a phenomenon that is real, but it's not physical. But it also explains why so many other physicists totally dismiss UFOs. I had Carl Sagan as a professor briefly when I was at the University of Toronto. He was extremely dismissive, but there's a difference. His worldview does not permit the existence of anything non-physical. And so he says, since there's no uh, physical evidence, nothing that uh, shows that they're physical, it can't be real. Same thing happened when Jimmy Carter was president. He, one of his campaign promises that he would get NASA to tell us what's going on with UFOs. NASA's response is, give us some evidence that shows that they're physical and we'll investigate it because we're scientists. And as scientists, we don't mess with the non-physical, we only mess with the physical. Nevertheless, as a scientist, I would say, 
we can use science to prove that we're dealing with a real phenomena. It's not physical, but we can actually show that it's not physical. And science does that in a number of other realms. We have space-time theorems that tell us that the matter and energy and even the space-time dimensions of the universe uh, were created uh, by some entity beyond space and time. So science actually does have the power to deal with these issues. So let me ask you, uh, in your book, you put a real uh, tie-in or a correlation with UFOs in a religious context, uh, yeah. whether we want to call that the occult or satanic, uh, you know, you, you make a quite a jump, and, and uh, I'm not criticizing you for that, but you make quite a jump on on the subject because it's enough for people to have their minds blown when the government says, what we've told you for 70, 80 years that these things are not real. Well, you know what, they are real. That's enough of a, of a mind blowing that we have these intelligent uh, objects that defy science and our and our latest uh, military aircraft. It's another to say that these things, as as you believe, and I'm not saying you're the only one, certainly, but you believe that these things are uh, dem- fall into the demonic realm. Would you kind of give us a little bit of an apologetic for why you believe that? Yeah, and I'm not alone in this. Uh, the six astrophysicists I mentioned, uh, they're not Christians like I am but they all draw the same conclusion that I do, uh, that whatever is behind these UFOs is also behind witchcraft and the occult. And so uh, they say the phenomena we see in demonology is identical to the phenomena we see in UFOs. Now, what we do in our book, Whites in the Sky and Little Green Men, is actually say, well, let's investigate the closest encounters. It was the astrophysicist Alan Hynek that came up with a classification close encounters of the first kind, second kind, third kind, and fourth kind. And the close encounters are where you're less than 500 feet away uh, from the phenomena. And what's interesting is when you investigate that database, uh, it's never beneficial. It's always harmful. Uh, The best you're going to come away with with one of those close encounters is repeated terrifying nightmares. You say, what's Mm. the worst case scenario? People have been killed by these close encounters. Serious injuries have taken place. Uh, the animals that are bonded to the human beings that have the encounter often are hurt or killed. Uh, so this is not something that means it's good. It's something that means it's harm. And as you dig deeper in the phenomena, there are cases like a close encounter of the second kind is where people get a message uh, from the craft or the UFO. And then the third kind is where they have an abduction experience. And where there's a message being communicated, uh, it's consistently deceptive. They always say, hey, we're from the backside of the moon, or we're from Mars, or we're from Venus. And what I've found interesting as an astronomer, they've been keeping pace with lay knowledge of astronomy. You know, 100 years ago, they said they were from the backside of the moon. When people realize, the general public, but that's not possible. They changed their story and said, we're from Venus. And when people realized how hot it was on Venus, they said they were from Mars. Well, now people realize the solar system besides Earth is not a candidate for any kind of life. So now they're telling us a story. They're from another planetary system. When you, say they're, right tell- now, when you say they're telling us, how are they telling us? Well, it's through a phenomena that you see in the occult. Uh, automatic writing. 
where the contactee goes into a trance and basically loses control of their body. And what I say is these beings take control. And so they engage in automatic writing. Or in a trance, they actually type on a computer or a typewriter or write on a paper a message. And you may have heard of the Orontia book. It's a 4,000-page book uh, that was communicated to contactees who were in a trance-like state, and they literally wound up writing 4,000 pages of content. But if you look at, the, at those 4,000 pages, a third of the content is denying the deity of Jesus Christ. So it hmm. seems to be targeted against the Christian faith, trying to convince people that there's no truth to Christianity. And the other thing that tells me we're dealing with something deceptive is that this phenomenon has been with us for thousands of years. It's not new. Thutmose uh, III recorded a UFO encounter, for example, that's 3,000 years ago. But 150 years ago, these objects were reported as being slow-moving dirigibles in the atmosphere that held up until World War One. In World War II, they were Foo Fighters, uh, where they were moving at just under the uh, speed of sound. And now they're moving at 18,000 miles an hour. In other words, they seem to be keeping pace with our technology. And so the fact that their story changes, the way they appear changes, tells me that their agenda is one of deception. And then the message we receive, I think, is clear evidence that their intent is to deceive. Would this be like spiritualism with uh, seances and trying to you know, conjure up yeah, spirits? Yeah, similar to that. I mean, uh, in, uh, in spiritualism, for example, uh, people wind up talking to spirits over the phone. I even had a relative who had that experience. And I would joke with her and say, well, who pays the phone bill? But uh, <laughs> I know yeah, I had been involved in some occultic things before I was a Christian. And I saw these things that are called orbs, these lights. They're like round lights, and they have no physical matter, but they, uh, they can move around at fantastic speeds. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I think the uh, idea of this uh, transdimensional reality of UFOs fits in also with ghosts, that, uh, you know, these are real uh, apparitions, but they have no physical correlation. Well, that's something the Bible's explicit about, that God has created two distinct species of intelligent life. We human beings who are constrained by the physics of the universe and the space-time dimensions of the universe, and angels uh, that are more powerful than us that are not constrained by the physics of the universe or space-time dimensions. So I'm persuaded we're dealing with angelic beings. And on our book, Lights in the Sky, Little Green Men, we framed it as a scientific testable hypothesis. And I make the point, just based on my travels around the world, that there's a direct relationship between people who have UFO experiences and their involvement in the occult. Mm. And I've also noted that when people eliminate the occult from their life, that's the end of their UFO experiences. So I close the book off by saying, if you will close the doors to all of your occult activity, repudiate all that, that'll be the end of your UFO experiences. And then there's a statistical argument. I mentioned earlier that I went to Russia during the communist era when it was still the Soviet Union. That was the time when the Soviet government was sponsoring research in occult physics at their major universities. 
and I was speaking at those universities, and a number of the physicists and astronomers there uh, were deeply involved in the occult, but also having UFO encounters. And so as I've traveled around the world, I've noticed, for example, that the incidence of UFO experiences is much higher in Hawaii and Alaska than it is the 48 contiguous states. And I think for good reason. A lot more people are involved in the occult in Hawaii and Alaska. And likewise, Mm. tropical Brazil or France uh, or the Soviet uh, Union during the the communist era, a much higher percentage of the population was involved in the occult and consequently a higher percentage was having these UFO encounters. You know, a lot of people said, look, I want to get this out of my life because they realize it's harmful. Close the doors of the occult, and that'll be the end of your UFO encounters. I know that there is a lot of discussion. I mean, I, I, you go on the Internet today or you go on uh, Amazon's uh, website for videos. There's no end of movies and documentaries purporting that there are that the government knows that we have bases uh, of aliens that we're hiding and working in collateral. Th- this whole idea of cattle mutilation alien abductions, it's enough to blow your mind. I mean, I I have studied this phenomenon for 40 years because I saw this as a child. I saw a UFO. And as a Christian, I have studied this for 40 years. And there are still some things that I've just recently come to understand that are demonic. I mean, uh, they have found, as you know, I'm sure, Dr. Ross, uh, thousands of cattle, which is a huge problem. The FBI itself has been involved with that. Cannot explain how cattle are so surgically you know, parts of them are, are surgically removed, uh, no footprints, no way of understanding this. And uh, that was a confusing uh, issue for me. Uh, also, people saying that in these alien abductions, they have found things within their bodies, like the aliens have left little parts. It's almost like the movie Invaders from Mars. And I've only recently uh, had someone explain to me that's very involved in the subject that these demonic beings, if they are demonic beings, are able to go through matter and implant certain things or take out certain things. I mean, what we're talking about, I mean, you know, we're as as people who believe in, in, in the demonic, but for the most part, we're talking about beings that are so immensely intelligent and have such an agenda for the past, uh, for centuries. Uh, where is this all going? I mean, what is the big picture here? What, what is their plan? Well, I think we're dealing with the fallen angels, the angels that are in rebellion to God, the creator. And so I think they're highly motivated to get as many human beings to reject God's offer of redemption as possible. I think they're personally deceived into thinking, hey, if we can get enough humans rebelling against God, maybe God will let us off from uh, our you know, uh, stated punishment. Uh, that, that's their agenda, uh, is to get people to... Uh, end this life. I mean, for example, the suicide rate amongst contactees is very high. But that, to me, Mm -hmm. fits the agenda. These demons can get people to end their life before they receive Jesus Christ's offer of redemption. They think they're winning. Uh, The Bible makes it clear they're not going to win, but I think that's their motivation. And the Bible also tells us that, you know, we struggle not just with flesh and blood, but with powers. Powers that, that, uh, you know, resources beyond what this universe can offer. But I want to make it clear, and I got a couple of chapters in Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, that we're not dealing with physical beings 
from another planetary system. It simply violates the laws of physics uh, for beings that are roughly our size to traverse interstellar space. I mean, yeah, interstellar space is uh, close to being a vacuum, but there's particles there. And if you move your spaceship too fast through interstellar space, you will damage your spacecraft. Now, we already know that because we astronomers have plans to send spacecraft to the nearest star, but it's four and a quarter light years away. We're going to have to send the spacecraft at about 10% the velocity of light. And we recognize that if we go that fast, there's going to be considerable damage. And so what we're actually working on is sending a 1,000 spacecraft to the nearest star where the spacecraft are no bigger than 10 centimeters across. If you make them small enough, they have a lower probability of being damaged. But even then, we expect that at least half of them will be destroyed before they get to the nearest star. And if there are beings out there that are like us, physically constrained by the laws of physics, and intelligent with advanced civilization, they will have figured all this out. And they would have recognized that it's simply not possible to send beings. Machines is another thing. I could anticipate that they might send machines, uh, but personal being, you know, anything big is not gonna make it across interstellar space. I recall a twilight zone called To Serve Man, where these beings finally appear as our benefactories and actually have a plan to deceive us. And uh, there are many people uh, saying that this is part of a larger plan in which these beings are trying to communicate that they have created us, that they're monitoring us, and they go to these military bases because, as you know, the military bases are well known for having these UFOs appear and monitor them, and that they're concerned about our welfare and our danger of perhaps uh, annihilation. And so they're going to come and finally become our, if you would, our uh, saviors. And and somehow uh, they tie that in with Second Thessalonians and this great lie that people will believe that these things have come as gods to finally uh, show us the way. And, and many of these UFO messages actually talk about Jesus being one of their gods. Have you come across well, some of that? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, you see that in the contactee literature that these beings claim to uh, want to rescue humanity from destroying itself. And so uh, they come in peace, and uh, they want to help us solve all of our problems. Matter of fact, uh, back to Carl Sagan, he was making the point in one of his lectures that the only hope for humanity is that we make contact with an extraterrestrial intelligence civilization and read their book. He says that they must have solved the problems we're facing, and they must have produced a book. And he called the book the Encyclopedia Galactica. And he said, if we can just get radio messages recording of the content of that book, we can solve all of humanity's problems. And at the University of Toronto, I actually nudged one of my fellow graduate students and said, don't we already have an Encyclopedia Galactica? And isn't Carl's problem that he's not willing to read that book? And I thought I was whispering, but Carl overheard me. He said, I know exactly what you're talking about. But the problem with that book is that the moral message, the morality it demands of us is not attainable. And that to me was sad because that's really the whole message of the Bible, that there is a moral standard God wants us to live up to. 
that's impossible to achieve by our own human effort. Carl was right. The morality of the Bible is not humanly achievable, but the message of the Bible is God's prepared to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Right. So, yeah, we already mm-hmm. have an Encyclopedia Galactica. You, I have heard you. I've watched a number of your uh, of your shows where you debate with some of the greatest scientists who are obviously uh, of a different persuasion, atheistic. Even when you have gone on Christian shows, I mean, these are people who are our fellow comrades that debate with you sometimes more um, cynically than even the the skeptics do. But I I just have to congratulate you on how uh, loving and and gentle, and yet you are very forceful in your arguments with these people. I think that many of these rationalists and skeptics would say to you, you as a scientist, you're, you're being intellectually lazy. You're consigning this unknown phenomena to supernatural causes, just like people in the Middle Ages did, and, and instead of applying good science to finding the answers, you're, you're, you're just consigning this to supernatural causes. I'm sure there are people that would say that to you. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I get that a lot, and uh, that's why in our book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, we took a heavy scientific approach and basically says that we're going to actually get anywhere with these UFOs, we have to come up with an explanation that's scientifically testable and falsifiable. And so I tell these skeptics, hey, we have a model for UFOs. Uh, You don't, we do. And we're asking you to put our model to the scientific test. If you think think we're wrong, then here's how you can scientifically show that we are wrong. Uh, But so far, I mean, that book's been out since 2002, and uh, no one's taken up the challenge that we've offered. Yeah, I mean, um, my thought is, uh, number one, they're real. Uh, I mean, uh, in in the small amount of real reports, these things are obviously real. The government's admitting that. So we're dealing with a known reality that defies science, as we know it, appears to be transdimensional or what theologians have called for thousands of years spiritual. They appear to have evil associations and paranormal activity. And their agenda seems to be deceptive and evil. So when you put all those five things together, what do you get? You get what the Bible discusses as evil angels. Now, that, that's a big leap for people, but that's their problem, uh, not the mm-hmm. Bible's. I mean, the Bible is even telling us, isn't it, you, that, you know, Jesus uh, well, said— Well, that's my hope in all this is <laughs> that, uh, you know, with the government now releasing a lot more of the data on UFOs, People are going to recognize the Bible's message is credible. It's scientifically credible. I mean, I think the problem we hear in the U.S. is that people think there's nothing supernatural going on. The problem I faced when I was speaking in the Soviet Union, everybody believed that there was a supernatural element, that they were terrified of it, and felt that these beings, uh, there was no way to deal with them. And so having to get people past that fear element, and this is the message of the Bible, Yes, there are spiritual beings out there that mean you harm. They mean to do you evil. Uh, but God is more powerful. And moreover, uh, two-thirds of the angels are in allegiance with God. And so this is what Elijah told us, uh, is that the forces, the spiritual forces that are for us are much greater and more powerful than the spiritual forces that are against us. But we dare not take on these beings in our own human strength. 
They are more powerful than us, and therefore we need to get help uh, from one who's more powerful than them. Reminds me of of Luther's uh, great hymn, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we shall not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Hugh, I want to ask one right. thing. Maybe you think about it. Is is the um, the idea of the interdimensional reality a way of understanding Jesus' resurrection, where uh, he's both seems to be both physical and spiritual? Uh, he well, goes to closed doors and stuff, but at the same time, right. he can be touched and he eats. That's true. I mean, uh, you know, Jesus himself mm-hmm. appeared in the upper room when the doors and windows were locked. He would appear to them physically and disappear. But he's much more powerful than the angels in the sense that he and only he can create space-time dimensions. He can create dimensions. He can remove dimensions. We and the angels are subject to the dimensions that God creates. But God is able to move and operate completely independent of the dimensions. And now we've got the physics to prove that. The space-time theorems, based on the theory of general relativity, establish not only must there be a beginning to the universe, but the space-time dimensions of the universe were created at the beginning of the universe, implying there's a creator beyond space and time with the power to create dimensions. You know, David Hume has been so prevalent in in much of science, uh, I think that's fading, but, you know, David Hume would say, these things don't exist because they cannot exist. Uh, You know, they make these dogmatic statements. Do you think that this subject is going to radically change the way science looks at its own presuppositions, that we live in what's called, quote, a rational material universe? I mean, I know quantum physics has changed all that, but do you think this is going to have a real impact on the way science looks at, at things in the future? I think it could, uh, but I'm also wary of the strategy of these uh, fallen angels, these demons. Their strategy is either to persuade us that there's nothing supernatural going on at all. It's all pure naturalism. That's kind of the belief system that's dominant here in the United States. The other strategy they have is to convince you that the supernatural is real, but that they're in control of the supernatural and that we must submit to them. And, uh, you know, there's nothing more powerful than those are the two extremes. And so that that explains why people believe in the supernatural and these beings. They're afraid of them and they feel they have to be subject to them. Uh, But the Bible's message is they are subject to God. He is more powerful than that. Yes, of course. What is uh, one more question I want to ask uh, is what do you think? Personally, this report that's coming out is going to say. Well, I believe it's going to be more of the same. I mean, we documented in Lights and Sky and the Green Men how these things move at uh, the extreme velocities. As you say, you can shoot at them, and your bullet goes right through them, doesn't do anything to them. Uh, how they can appear on radar but not on photographic film. Uh, how they crash into the earth and there's no debris or artifacts present. I mean. I think we're going to get a lot more release from the governments of the world verifying what's already in the database. But I think so much of it's going to be released that people will no longer be able to ignore it. I mean, I know a lot of scientists who basically have been dismissive. I think the release of, the, of this new data that's going to be coming out 
is basically going to force people to acknowledge this is a real phenomena. There is non-physical reality. Yeah, you think of, of all the uh, uh, legends and myths and th- stories of everything from giants to witches to vampires uh, are all uh, really kind of consistent with this. And, well, they um, are, including leprechauns. I mean, I think that's yeah. all part of the same phenomena. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that you know um, we spoke uh, a week or so ago at the yeah the uh, classic film of Dracula uh, with Bela Lugosi it was not the first version, but the one that, that was, it was really the first American supernatural horror film. And apparently, at the uh, conclusion of the film, the character who plays uh, Dr. Von Helsing, who destroys Dracula, comes out on, on, onto a, through a curtain on a stage and being filmed and says to the audience, well, remember, says to the audience, and this is back in 1931, when you go home tonight, remember that there are such things. And that was later excised out of the film and no longer exists. We don't know where knows where that footage is. But apparently that, that was... <laughs> the closing scene of the film. And that, that film uh, changed uh, a whole mindset in that in the 1920s, the idea, at least in America, was this kind of positivistic uh, view of science, uh, did not believe that there could be anything supernatural. And uh, Dracula goes right up against that. You've got the, a leading scientist who says, uh, modern science does not admit of such things. And von Helsing says, it basically gives the... Uh, you know, the Hamlet line, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dwelt than are, are dealt with in your philosophy. But I just my point being that there's a long history of all of this stuff. Uh, yeah, it you goes can kind back of see it together. Of years. I think the demons have, have been consistently motivated. In fact, we've been warned even in Genesis uh, that we can expect these kinds of uh, invasions from what, these what, beings that are opposed to God. What about this whole idea it mentioned Genesis, Genesis 6, where these... Uh, uh, what are called the uh, sons of God, uh, inter, uh, interrelate physically, sexually with women, and that's what gives birth to the to the classic mythical heroes. Right. I write about that extensively in another book called Navigating Genesis, where I basically say, okay, the phrase sons of God in the Bible can refer to angels or it can refer to human beings but is only used for human beings that have been redeemed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Humans are never called sons of God until after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And what's interesting is the followers of Jesus Christ are consistently called sons of God uh, after the day of Pentecost, but not before, <clears throat> which tells me that these beings in Genesis chapter 6 are not human, some people speculated they might be demon-possessed humans, or they might be angels themselves, but they gave rise to the Nephilim. And the Nephilim are these very tall heroes of battle. Uh, the shortest one we see mentioned in the Bible is Goliath, at a minimum height of 9 feet 9 inches. Now, we know if they're purely physical, like we are, the taller a human being gets, the less mobile they become. And you see that in basketball. Uh, The best players are not the ones that are seven and a half feet tall. When you get to be that tall, you begin to lose mobility. 
because the weight of your body goes up geometrically with your height. Uh, but what we see with Goliath is that he was able to go into battle with at least 250 pounds of weaponry, and he was mobile. A human being, a person who's strictly physical like we are, would not be capable of doing that. Uh, we also notice they had birth defects, and also that God was intent on eliminating the Nephilim from the face of the earth. That's why he raised up David's mighty men to take care of the last of the, of the Nephilim. So, uh, and again, this is consistent with the demons wanting to do, because it tells us right there in Genesis uh, that, you know, Satan and his army of demons are intent on uh, damaging the image of God. We human beings are created in the image of God, so it makes sense that some form of bestiality with these beings would be a tool that they would use to try to damage the image of God. And you even see a reference in Jude verse 6, where it says that, uh, you know, these demons that had violated God's command not to touch humans are sent to this prison house called the abyss. And evidently Mm -hmm. the demons don't like it. And, uh, you know, demons who have not done any sexual violation in the Gospels consistently appealed to Jesus and said, do not send us to the abyss. And Jesus didn't. The abyss evidently is reserved just for those angels that, quote, violated their estate. In other words, committed bestiality. But they still were able to impregnate women. Uh, human. Well, they were never women. permitted to. God basically said, don't do that. And when they did, he locked them up. That, that's the Genesis 6 story then, yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what we're excited about and what we appreciate about you, you is... We're not just talking to some fundamentalist pastor or even a, a recognized theologian. I mean, we're talking with uh, you. And, uh, you have debated with some of the world's greatest scientists. You you certainly uh, understand and apply science in its in its real uh, definition, probably more than most scientists. And yet, you hold to the inspiration of Scripture, and um, you have a uh, a clear answer to what this phenomena is that many do not. And uh, we are so delighted to have had you on the show. You know, if someone says it doesn't seem rational, well, you better redefine what you mean by rational, I guess. Or if it doesn't well, seem... Well, they can sci- check out our books. And by the way, anyone can get free chapters of my books just by going to reasons.org slash Ross. Say that again so our audience hears it again. Yeah, reasons.org slash Ross, and uh, you'll see eight of my, I've written 20 books, but we're giving away three chapters of eight of my books. Well, you know, again, you know, we wish you God's best, and thank you. Just to really appreciate your coming on the show and trying to resolve for us, and I think you have um, a level of frustration and uh, fascination. We wish you God's best, and thank you again for coming on. Oh, again, you're very welcome. Thank you. Okay, God bless you. This is Ralph and Paul wishing you the best. Until next time, this is 10 Times Terror, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.